Bitcoin isn't the answer to everything. Um, it's a very, you know, very strong store of value. Um, it, it has a lot of, you know, utility. It can be fractionalized. It can be used for payments um, and transfer of wealth. But it's not the answer to everything. And that's, I think, what a lot of people miss with crypto is that they, they fail to see that the way it's expanded and matured is that you, you, however you choose or want to interact with the ecosystem, you can. It's very free in that nature. It doesn't tell you that you must conform to this standard or you must use this service in order to access this product or service or whatever it might be. Whereas typically with the, with, you know, the traditional system, if you don't do it their way, you don't have any other choice. Um, I can't, you know, the, the idea of self-custody uh, and, and, and decentralized lending and things like that, you know, through peers, it's all very new, very, you know, different to what we know. Um, and that's a big change for a lot of people that they're not comfortable with yet. Welcome to the Exponential Investor Podcast. Want to be a better, smarter, more clued up investor? Well, you've come to the right place. We cover the breakthrough investment ideas you don't hear about in the mainstream to keep you on top of the mega trends and opportunities reshaping our world. Good morning and welcome to another Exponential Investor Podcast. I'm your editor, Sam Volkering, here with my co-editor, Kit Winder. Kit, great to have you with me again this week. Um, now, last week we covered uh, a couple of questions and, and issues around uh, topics around the green energy market and electric cars and hybrid cars and and what's going on there. Um, we had you had a couple of questions for me, uh, which we didn't get around to last week. That uh, believe it or not, we have time to to get through today. So. Uh, what do you what do you got for us? Fire away, and hopefully the everyone listening will uh, will take a bit out of hopefully the answers that I can provide. Um, yeah, so I was just I was reading up for the first time around uh, Binance and and Tether and Bitcoin and the connections between the three. Having sort of been yeah ill and away while the Binance thing was kicking off, and I guess um, almost wanting to start I guess from the basics um, in terms of Tether being the the sort of dollar backed almost like a a gold backed currency in fiat it would be like a dollar backed cryptocurrency which forms the basis of most or of quite a, a number of of um bitcoin transactions as i understand it and then the connection to binance was something i didn't massively understand or hadn't hadn't heard before and then binance going under and all of the concerns around tether how or the extent to which Tether is actually backed by real US dollars um, or how exactly it's managing that. It just all seemed incredibly interesting to me. Um, so uh, I guess my first question is how big of a risk is posed by the faltering of Binance and the, the potential for Tether to be a fraud to, to the actual price and development of Bitcoin? Yeah. Okay. So they're good. They're good questions because a lot of people have. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of incorrect information. There's a lot of speculation about Binance, about Tether, um, about a lot of a lot of things in the crypto markets. Um, and it's important to understand what role they all play, uh, the risks that they pose to the broader crypto ecosystem. So I think what's important to understand is that um, both Binance and Tether. Um, uh, you know, crypto Bitcoin existed before they ever did. And that's important for a couple of reasons, because 
for a start, if you look at something like Binance, so Binance is really one of the, if not the biggest uh, global crypto exchange where you can facilitate the buying and selling and trading and swapping of uh, cryptocurrencies, whether it be through something like, you know, you can, you can use uh, Tether, which is a, like, like uh, you say, Kit, a, a US dollar a stable coin. So the, the value of a tether is, is, is essentially pegged to one US dollar at all times, uh, give or take very minor fluctuations around that. Um, and so effectively, you can trade Bitcoin for the tether on Binance, or if you've got tether on Binance, you can buy Bitcoin or sell it into, into tether, uh, as you can with a whole number of different cryptocurrencies. So what, what the stable coin tether does is it effectively provides a useful utility uh, for trading in and out of fiat currency without having to deal with the traditional financial system, um, I guess, frictions that you get when you're trying to convert currencies across borders or transact and transfer them from one place to another. So stable coins in that sense. Now, it's also important to know that the that Tether isn't the only stable coin out there. There's a, at least a half dozen different ones. Some are uh, are backed uh, by custodial holdings of the, the currency they're pegged to. So Circle, for instance, uh, has a stablecoin called the uh, USDC, which is, again, pegged to the US dollar and backed by US dollars. Um, and, and Tether is believed to, to be backed by US dollars, but whether or not it is one for one, every Tether in circulation is backed by an equivalent US dollar is up for conjecture. Um, because the audits, there's never been a full proper audit of that, um, which I'll get into in a minute. But stablecoins effectively now provide a very useful utility for dealing in uh, fiat currency, like the US dollar uh, or the euro um, or other, other stablecoins that are denominated in fiat money. So that's really helpful for exchanges like Binance, right? Because it provides them with huge volumes for people that just want to buy and sell in and out of fiat money uh, without, so, so day traders effectively. Um, what it means is that for, for an exchange like Binance, um, it means they can also offer other products and services. So what they had been doing is they were starting to offer leveraged trading where you could actually leverage trade the crypto markets, I think up to a hundred times, it might've even been more, hundred times leverage uh, on margin, which is you know, an astronomical amount of leverage and risk. Um, subsequently, they've actually wound that back recently to, I think they cap it out now at 25 times because they're trying to be a little bit more regulatory friendly uh, with the products that they offer. Because you'll also note that Binance was banned, or Binance markets were banned in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority, uh, banned for offering regulated financial products and activity. So what that means is that they can't offer anything that's actually a regulated financial product in the UK, which actually really doesn't impact them that much because they don't really offer regulated financial products in the UK because crypto isn't a regulated product. So there's a lot of sort of fear about Binance being like people claim that it's a scam. The banks claim that it's a scam, actually. Um, and so you, you, we've seen banks like HSBC, Barclays, uh, I think Santander, uh, and a number of others. Uh, I think NatWest maybe be another one. 
that have um, blocked customers from sending their uh, their pounds to Binance to, to buy cryptocurrency because uh, it flags as a scam to the banks. Uh, in all reality, you know, not, not much has really changed at Binance. Um, in terms of the, the systemic risk <clears throat> that an exchange like Binance might pose, um, it it's significant. If Binance failed um, and and wasn't able to meet its obligations for the cryptocurrencies that were held by all the users on their accounts, I mean, we'd be talking about the modern day version of Mt. Gox. Uh, and for people that don't know what that is, Mt. Gox uh, back in 2014 uh, failed. It was the world's largest crypto exchange, predominantly Bitcoin. Uh, so it was the world's largest Bitcoin exchange and it failed, went bankrupt, closed down overnight. If you had Bitcoin on Mt. Gox, it disappeared. I think somewhere in the vicinity of 700,000 uh, Bitcoin went missing. Uh, and, and, and to this day, um, you know, we still are trying to recover Bitcoin that was held on the Mt. Gox exchange. That was massive at the time when it failed back in 2014. Um, and it was big enough. So I think they I think they handled something like almost close to 90% of all Bitcoin trades uh, at one point. Uh, don't quote me on that figure, but it, it was high. And so when Mt. Gox failed, people there, were, there was genuine fear that it may just completely crush uh, the Bitcoin market. Um, and it didn't. It didn't because these exchanges on their own, uh, while they get a lot of volume and they have a lot of uh, customers and they do a lot of you know, transactions on the different networks and blockchains and cryptocurrencies, inherently, if they fail, that's good for the market because, <laughs> well, A, people, you shouldn't really store your crypto on an exchange anyway. So if, a, if an exchange was to fail and you had your crypto on there, it's kind of like, well, you've been warned that that's a risk. Um, and so, you know, you shouldn't, you should factor in those risks and you should always self-custody your crypto where you can. Um, but that's the beauty of a free market like the cryptocurrency markets, right? Is that you can have these market failures and the market moves on uh, and, and, and bigger and better things come out of it. So out of Mt. Gox, there were other exchanges. Um, we ended up with Coinbase becoming a raging success. Um, obviously, more recently, Binance and even more recent than that, the FTX <clears throat> exchange. And uh, even like Gemini, so we've we've gone through a period. We went through a period where a lot of exchanges actually did fail, um, and out of that came better exchanges, better KYC, better custodial systems, better systems all around, um, more robustly backed and um, and structured. And so, if you know, we were to find that something like Binance was to fail, which I don't expect it will, to be honest, um, then that's that's how a free market operates. Now, should Tether make out to be, you know, fractionally backed, uh, I don't. I honestly don't think the market's going to care um, because there are some stable coins out there that are algorithmically backed and aren't backed by physical US dollars at all, uh, and no one seems to care. And they're major trading pairs. So Tether could be. I, I I I don't buy into this whole thing that Tether's a scam or anything like that. I mean, the idea that Tether could be a fraud. Um, I probably, I think I kind of struggle with that as well. They've, you know, they've cleared any issues that they had with uh, the US uh, regulatory body there, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, there just hasn't been a full audit of Tether in circulation. And even if there was, which they claim could be only months away, um, 
I think it's going to put a lot of this tether fear to bed. And like I say, even if tether didn't exist, the crypto market would be fine because you've got so many other trading pairs for swaps. You know, you, you could exchange Bitcoin for Ethereum. You could exchange it for Circle stablecoin if you wanted to. There's a, a Euro stablecoin. Um, so again, the market has become mature and sophisticated and big enough that it can actually wear large uh, market failures should they should they arise uh, at the moment. So, you know, again, it's it's one of those things where you don't want those things to happen. Um, it would create short-term opportunities probably in the market. But when you look at the bigger picture, the market ends up being better for wiping those, wiping anything that's got issues like that uh, clean from from the market, I guess. Very interesting. Now, some things in, in there, I, I, I was writing down notes and I had quite a few questions, which we definitely won't have a chance to get through them. But a few things sort of stood out to me. Firstly, uh, thinking about the sort of the core concept of, tether and what it does in, in terms of a stable coin um being actually something that attaches the crypto system to the fiat the fiat world that it's sort yeah. of reportedly trying to escape so there's a i guess an irony or a, a, an inconsistency there which you also mentioned in the way that you said if you hold your cryptocurrency on an exchange you know you have been warned this isn't you know the point of bitcoin was sort of to be an escape from the financial institutions like banks and escape from the intermediaries. But it turns out that maybe the intermediaries are what people want. Is that something that concerns you that we, the reason we have banks yeah, because people didn't want to have to store their own money. They didn't want to have to worry about, you know, a safe for their gold or in cryptocurrency where to hide their codes or how to um, be secretive about it. And that the reason why Coinbase and Binance and these things are popular is that, people would rather the simplicity of an intermediary and that the counterparty risk is actually an accepted price for people yep. um, for that thing. So I guess that the whole question is like, do Tether and Binance, even if they are legitimate, which I think I, I would probably take quite a different stand from you on how likely that is. Um, even if they are legitimate, do they, do they represent, are they, are they worthwhile things for the crypto community? Are they what, you know, the founder of Bitcoin and, and infuser such as yourself, are they what you want? Um, so ultimately, they clearly are wanted because of the the immense popularity and use of them because of the simplicity of them. So they, they certainly, Binance in particular, certainly does function as a useful intermediary in terms of getting funds from fiat money into the crypto ecosystem. So I've used, I mean, I've used Binance before to buy Bitcoin uh, and Ethereum with British pounds. So that that is a that is a that is quite a handy and because it's easy to do. So it's quite a handy way to on-ramp into the crypto world uh, using using Binance. Um, Tether, I I genuinely couldn't give two hoots about. I I don't I don't hold Tether. I don't transact in Tether. Um, I don't really see the point of it. I mean, I see the point of it in terms of, like I say, it's utility for movement of US dollars, or at least, you know, what's believed to be US dollars uh, from point to point 
and to facilitate transactions and payments, things like that. I can see there being a, a strong utility there. And, and this is why, so like with USDC, the circle stable coin, this is why Visa's starting to use it as a settlement layer for their network is because they can see that there is functional utility of stable coins uh, in a global payments and, and, and remittance and transfer market. So there's, there's certainly use for it there. But um, for me, it's like you say, it's like the point of a stable coin is very much the antithesis of, of crypto, of Bitcoin. I mean, it is, it is like the name Tether inherently tells you what it does. It tethers you to the, the US dollar, to the fiat money system. It's, it's, it's not breaking any shackles. It's just making them tighter. And, but, that's, but that's because there's a lot of people that just want to trade crypto in and out for, for profit on uh, in fiat money, which I completely get. Um, but there's uh, also a lot of people that want to self-custody, that want to hold Bitcoin long-term, that see that as being a, a future global, um, uh, basically a, a, a standard, in, standard currency, uh, global reserve currency uh, of the future. And that's certainly what I believe, and I know a lot of others do. I think the thing with crypto is, is that it can offer the best of both worlds. Is that it? There are intermediaries like you say, like Coinbase, like Binance, that provide that layer of simplicity for a lot of people that maybe just want to get crypto, maybe want to see some trading opportunities and realize some fiat money profits. Um, but they also facilitate on ramps and they allow you to to self custody. So they allow you to send your crypto to your own wallets um, for safekeeping and storage. And and Binance, to their credit, has developed um, their own network that allows for decentralized exchanges, where you know they effectively have cut themselves out of the um, of the transaction, and they allow for people to become market makers and liquidity providers um, in those trading. So there there will be these Coinbase and Binance. There will be these intermediaries that you can custody with and you can hold your crypto with. There is still absolutely an element of counterparty risk with that. Um, and, and that will be, there will be people that need that, want that, and don't want to worry about anything else. But there's also plenty of others that will use decentralized exchanges. Um, they will use different kinds of on-ramps and they will self-custody. So I think it's, it's important to know that there's never, you know, there is no one solution to everything. It's like Bitcoin. Bitcoin isn't the answer to everything. Um, it's very, you know, very strong store of value. Um, it, it has a lot of, you know, utility, it can be fractionalized, it can be used for payments um, and transfer of wealth, but it's not the answer to everything. And that's, I think, what a lot of people miss with crypto is that they, they fail to see that the way it's expanded and matured is that you, you, however you choose or want to interact with the ecosystem, you can. It's very free in that nature. It doesn't tell you that you must conform to this standard or you must use this service in order to access this product or service or whatever it might be. Whereas typically with the, with you know the traditional system, if you don't do it their way, you don't have any other choice. Um, I can't, you know, the, the idea of self custody uh, and 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 decentralized lending and things like that, you know, through peers, it's all very new, very you know, different to what we know. Um, and that's a big change for a lot of people that they're not comfortable with yet. Um, so we're in a bit of a transition period with it all. Um, and I think we'll end up with, you know, like I say, a, a broadening ecosystem that allows just people to have the freedom to do what they want. And that is really kind of the core principle of what cryptocurrency is supposed to be. 
It's interesting. I mean, a lot of the things you described sort of sounds like systems that would have existed before the onset of technology. And then yeah, yeah. A, you know, a cash-based, less centralized, as you say, decentralized system where village by village, there would be, you know, one local lender, perhaps, and you'd lend to the farmer or however it would work. But it's, it, it's sort of rather antiquated. And I suppose I just keep thinking that we develop the solutions that we have for that, the intermediaries, for a reason and people were willing to take on that risk but the the question i actually had for you sam was just going back to the the futures and derivatives and leverage that you mentioned binance were offering and you said that they'd scaled that back um and that was one of the headlines that i saw in the last two weeks was that um they'd stopped offering certain futures and derivatives on crypto markets yeah how um how big had that market grown? So let's say futures, especially on Bitcoin. How big had that market grown and how big of an impact does that, what's the sort of mechanics of how that impacts the Bitcoin price day to day and how big was that impact, if you see what I mean? So what's at risk from them stopping that? Um, not much really, because there's a lot of regulated um, operations that offer futures um, contracts and, and options trading on, on crypto in other markets. Um, you know, there's big futures market for um, BACT, which is the um, ICE owns the Intercontinental Exchange uh, Group owns the New York Stock Exchange and uh, has a stake in BACT. Uh, they have futures. So the futures market wasn't really impacted um, at all. Uh, again, Binance not offering that stuff is more just a risk to their own business rather than anything broader than that. Same with the leverage. Um I was I heard the founder and CEO of Binance CZ talking about um, the the people that actually used that massive hundred or hundred twenty five times leverage or whatever they were offering, and he said they were you know the people that were using it were doing just like these tiny little micro transactions built on top of each other, um, and that most people didn't actually ever use those really high leverage numbers, so it's not really a huge impact to them. Uh, scaling that back uh, at all, um, I, you know, if they were to stop leverage trading tomorrow, it wouldn't shake. It wouldn't shake the crypto market that much. I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect. Likewise, you know, if they completely shut off any futures and options trading and things like that, again, it, it, it's all. It, it all comes back to those that are just wanting to trade and and uh, and make uh, a profit on on these things in fiat money. Uh, when there is still a big chunk of the market that just wants to continue to build a base in Bitcoin. Um, and in that sense, you know, the price almost becomes somewhat irrelevant um, and they're, they're more trading crypto to crypto than, than necessarily and just sort of using stable coins as a leap pad uh, from one to the other rather than taking it into US dollars and then exiting back into the fiat system by converting those back to, you know, the central bank issued money. So in short, I, I don't think it'd be, I don't think it's an issue. Okay. Um, well, at risk of sort of turning this into a, a one hour session, um, <laughs> I'll leave it there, but it's definitely something that I'm going to look into. So uh, if you were to go on to expansioninvestor.com next week, I think I'm going to try and write something about this, try and dig myself into the questions around Tether and Binance and see if there's anything I can find out maybe bring back a slightly stronger challenge for you, Sam. Yeah, I mean, look, absolutely. And and I'd, I'd probably finish up with, like I said at the start, I mean, you've asked yourself the question, if Tether didn't exist, um, 
would the crypto markets continue on? Uh, or if Binance didn't exist, what would happen to, to the crypto markets? And while there may be short-term volatility in that, uh, the slack gets picked up everywhere else. Like I say, Tether's not the only stable coin. There's at least, you know, almost a dozen others. Uh, Binance isn't the only exchange. There's, you know, tens of dozens others like it. Like I say, FTX, for example, is a newer one to the market. Um, and they're growing at a pace that is obscene, really. They just did a $900 million uh, venture capital raise, giving them something like an $18 billion valuation. Um, not bad for an exchange that was started in 2019. So uh, the speed at which the market moves, it, it very quickly adapts to any sort of significant issues that you might face. Uh, with those sorts of things. But like you say, we could go on about this for a very extended period of time. We've already gone on for about 20 odd minutes with it, uh, which is more than enough for a Friday morning. So hopefully you've enjoyed our little discussion or really mainly my discussion from Kit's questions. And we will be back with you again next Friday with another Exponential Investor podcast. So thanks for listening and bye for now.